0: On this powerful episode, we focus on the mindset and the tenacity it takes to be successful in business and in life. Our special guest today is Patrick Bett david He is the CEO of PHP Agency, the creator of ValueTainment, and an elite social media influencer. His amazing story starts with his family immigrating to America when he was just 10 years old. I want you to join us in this straightforward conversation where you're going to learn how elite entrepreneurs succeed and how they operate to get to that next level stand by rise up a warrior my brothers welcome back to the man of war my name is ralph and of course i am your host more importantly a man on a mission here to take you up to that next level to transform you into a modern day warrior my brothers listen real quick here if you have not heard about the conclave of warriors you have been hiding under a rock somewhere somehow you must have missed it but i got to tell you something it is going to be an unbelievable event here downtown miami december one and two the most empowering event of the year something very unique that has not really been done before. We're talking about connecting with our audience on a one-to-one level. We're talking about that first-day main stage presentation. Then we have an immersive second day with Q&A sessions, breakout sessions, inner circle breakfast, VIP party. I mean, we can go on and on here. And of course, don't forget about the PT session with Navy SEAL Ray Care right down by the Miami River. Listen, I am so stoked. I am looking forward to meeting each and every one of you and sharing a phenomenal two days, an amazing two days. Grab your tickets right now. They're selling fast. This event will sell out. Conclaveofwarriors.com. That's conclaveofwarriors.com. Listen, as always, I ask you to do me a huge favor in return for the powerful content that we bring you here day in and day out. All I ask you to is to go to iTunes, leave us a review Subscribe and share it. All right, also on Instagram, at manofwar with two R's. Give us a follow there. We're definitely kicking it up live there. And yes, we do have a Facebook page. It's manofwar, and go check that out. Give us a subscribe there. Listen, this podcast here. This episode is very, very powerful. There's a lot here to learn. Patrick is a mind shifter. This guy will help you start thinking differently about business and in life. A lot of good stuff here. Whip out your pen and paper and take some notes. Remember to integrate and implement what you learn here into your life. Stand by. Patrick, bet David, welcome to the man of war podcast. My brother It's an absolute honor to have you on.
1: Hey, it's good to be on with you, man. It's always good to be on with somebody who uh, gave to public service, especially with your story. You yourself have a great story to share, So, but it's good to be on the show with you.
0: Awesome, man. It's a great honor to have you on. I followed you for quite a while, and I got to tell you, You know, you're the type of guy that inspires. You're the type of guy that, you know, goes out there, motivates individuals. But what I like most, man, is your mindset, right? That perseverance, that tenacity when you speak, and that conviction in your voice, which is rare because there's a lot of people out there in this world, as you know, that they speak a great game, but they can't back it up. And I believe you're one of those guys that can back it up. For our audience, do me a favor, Patrick, introduce yourself briefly
1: background born and raised in iran Uh, i lived there for 10 years escaped uh, six weeks after khomeini died on july 15th 89 lived in germany at a refugee camp for two years then came to the states to la glendale california went to school uh joined the army right afterwards went to the 101st airborne division air assault got out uh wanted to be a bodybuilder i met a girl who worked at morgan stanley dean witter Uh, so i started working at morgan stanley dean witter a day before 9-11 uh, literally it was a Monday when I got started at Morgan Stanley Deanwood and I'm supposed to go to New York for uh, the training at the World Trade Center facility so um, the 9-11 event takes place I uh, go from Morgan Stanley as a series seven stock broker I leave to uh, uh, Transamerica stayed there for seven and a half years become a three-time MVP and in October of 09 I started uh, our own insurance agency out of Northridge California with 66 agents and now we have Seven thousand seven hundred insurance agents in forty nine states with Oscar De La Hoya being one of my investors uh, Gabrielle Brenner the owner of Houston Dynamo as another one and a five billion dollar uh, fund from New York called Adalia fund And I accidentally started a YouTube channel. I was kind of late when I started my YouTube channel um, A lot of these guys started it early. We started in 2012 2013 And uh, grew that from where it was at to now uh, over 900,000 subscribers, nearly a billion minutes wide. So that's a little bit about myself.
0: Bam, 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 bam. That's awesome. So, Patrick, take me a little bit down the road of, you know, becoming a Series 7 stock broker, and we were speaking before the uh, podcast, and I told you basically I was a broker also. So, it, you kind of went from that platform. What made you kind of switch hats and open up a, an insurance agency? You know,
1: that's a great question. When I started selling stocks, here's what I noticed. First of all, 9-11 taught me a lot the guy in the corner office that was making seven twenty a year at that time, and he was coming to work in his shorts at 2 o'clock in the afternoon after done playing golf, and he would sell the dream, that guy ended up committing suicide. And so, very, pretty terrible story with he and his kids, and the whole typical story Damn. you hear about where the wife and kids come home, and they open up the garage. I don't want to give the visualization, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you see the... Sure. And it works its way up. So... I saw him go from seven twenty to seventy, eighty dollars $80,000 income, all the clients left. Uh, I saw the fear on a lot of these brokers' eyes, and uh, I told myself, I-, I don't know if I want to be a stockbroker. This is uh, not necessarily a life I want to uh, live, and then it was a choice between becoming a 401k specialist, like money under management. You know a little bit about this on managing money and managing portfolios, and doing that versus insurance versus distribution. And I just realized insurance is a very noble product. People need it. Uh, Many Americans are underinsured right now. 95 million Americans don't even have an insurance policy. Adults don't have insurance policies. And so I decided to go into that market because I saw a niche with multicultural millennials and women. So today, our insurance agency is a We are 54% Hispanic, 51% women, and the average age is 34, while the entire industry is a 59-year-old white male. So I saw an opportunity and I decided to focus on it and not trying to generalize all my uh, different uh, uh, products. Like, you know, we also sell this and we also sell this. We we wanted to specialize one product and insurance was a product. By the way, I'm still Series 7 licensed till today. I still am with a broker-dealer. We still offer securities product but the main specific product we focus on is insurance
0: interesting so Patrick, take, take me down a road. Also developing your culture. I mean, you're talking about a culture here where typically, you know, coming up on wall street, knowing the insurance guys, they were kind of looked down on, you know, there were the, the 50, the 60 year old guys kind of retiring the dirt, you know, their shirts tucked out of their pants, kind of sloppy that mentality. Okay. Of the insurance men out uh, going back when we were coming up in the late nineties, early two thousands through this, uh, through the, uh, Wall Street. How did that change and how did you see that? I mean, how did you see, did you have a vision that you wanted to bring in some younger people to kind of change the face of insurance?
1: Well, you know, for me, um, I'm a a values and principle guy. Um, You know, I'm a value and principle guy. So for me, I can't be controlled. I don't like to be controlled. And I don't like when somebody tells us what we can and what we can't do. This is why I believe in capitalism, because I think people do better if you allow them to use their creativity and their effort to build something special. So what I saw with the insurance market was, you know, it was a very stodgy. It was very, um, you know, almost like an elite, you know, your golfer and the father passes the book of business to the son or the daughter and. It was one of those things. And I just saw my vision. I wrote a book about it back in 2011 called The Next Perfect Storm. And everybody thought I was nuts when I wrote this book, The Next Perfect Storm. I said, this is what's going to take place. And here's what I suggest everybody do. And this is what we're doing. And I covered The Perfect Storm with five different elements tied to it. And we did exactly what's written in that book. Exactly. And by the way, Hmm. I don't recommend anybody go buy the book. So I'm not selling this book. It's a very Insurance-related product. If you're in the insurance business, you may want to read it. But you know, I'm not assuming all your people are insurance. You're complete different niche that you have. But I wrote that book, and so I casted my vision, and people thought I was crazy, I was insane. And now, seven years later, the biggest insurance uh, magazine comes up to me and does a cover story on me back to back, and titled, "Ken Patrick with David Make Insurance Cool Again." And so now it's become a phenomenon. You know, we had our conference a month ago. In Las Vegas at the Venetian, four and a half million dollar budget we put up with 5,000 people. If you go on YouTube and you type in the word Patrick Bay David and Kevin Hart, uh, our entertainment of the night was Kevin Hart. And I'm talking like awesome, full on his, you know, profanity and his irresponsible, I mean, he, the dirty jokes that he tells. <laughs> I want to make the insurance industry a little bit looser, you know, I want to make them a little bit more comfortable because if we want to get younger, good looking 20 year old, 24 year old kids coming out of college that are accustomed to partying and maybe they have their entire right arm tatted up with sleeves and tattoos and it's a good guy he's just got his arm tattooed because he's a creative guy you know tattoos 20 years ago meant you were a gangster tattoos today just means you're creative it's a complete different identity but some of these 50 60 70 year old insurance agents are not comfortable with the guy that's 24 years old tatted up even though i don't have any tattoos i grew up in rough environments so for me I saw that as an opportunity and I could have been wrong, but, you know, in this situation, um, the vision kind of favored us. So it turned into what it is today.
0: Very cool. So talk to me about your mindset, about the way that you carry your, you wake up in the morning all the way throughout your day, your business, how you approach your business, how you approach life. I mean, give me little tips here.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I am, um, if you want to know like uh, daily routine, um, I probably sleep at one o'clock in the morning. Uh, I'm up six, uh, every day. Um, I may, I may, if you look at my, uh, uh Fitbit, right. You, you know, the whole Fitbit when it kind of tells you how many people, sure. all that other stuff every week, I have a night where I sleep two to three hours every single week. I have a night where I sleep two to three hours. Now, I don't want to inspire anybody. Some people are going to say, that's just not healthy. You know, that's just not this. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just telling you that's what I do. Every week, I have a...
0: Hey, my brothers, just a quick break in the action here. I want to invite you to the Conclave of Warriors, downtown Miami, December 1 and 2. We're talking about an event here that will change your life forever. We're going to be having a two-day immersive experience like you've never experienced before. We're talking about taking it up to an entirely new level here. The goal of this event is to connect with you on a one-on-one level. If you're looking to lead yourself to success, overcome challenges, and of course, strengthen your mindset, this is the event. You need to be here. You can network with other warrior-minded individuals that are coming to this event from all over the world. Listen, tickets are selling extremely fast. This event will sell out here. We're, we are right now within that 60-day bracket, so that means this is where it's going to rev up. And these tickets will most likely sell out here over the next coming weeks. So jump on board, get your tickets, conclaveofwarriors.com.
1: A day where I sleep two to three hours. On average, I'm going to be probably around four to six hours. And then every week you'll find one night, that's going to be seven plus hours. It could be seven hours, it could be eight hours, but one night a week I refuel. Um I have to get my workout in. I got to get my cardio in. Um today was a little bit of a weird day. I didn't get my cardio in today because Alex Jones' interview went live this morning and there was a lot of controversy and we had to get our attorneys involved, et cetera, et cetera because it went out on 911 and you know you, you hope you don't get banned and what if you do this? So there was a lot of stuff that we had to work early in the morning. But uh, you know, I'll do my cardio, I'll do my weights, I'll get my exercise in and then I'm off to the races and I run 80% of the time, I'm running the insurance company, meaning at the home office right now, if you were to come over here and visit us, uh, we had the the largest insurance company out of Slovenia visit us yesterday. People always come and visit the headquarters to see what it looks like. The moment you walk in, you will find a 10-foot uh, Optimus Prime at the front lobby. It's a $49,000 statue. <laughs> uh, you'll find a nine-foot Incredible Hulk with uh, Batman and the Joker, and you'll see a 12 foot painting with some strange characters of tupac of the shah of senna of einstein ken it's just a very random things that we do here we have a one and a half million dollar studio that we set up where we do our production here uh and we have all our employees support staff is all here my executives are here the coo cco you know president cfo everybody works out of here and so that's what i do and i go from morning till night and uh you know, figure out a way to spend a little bit of time with the kids uh, at night, if not at night, on Sundays. And then uh, that's my day-to-day. And I work six days a week. I don't do five days. I don't do four days. I do six days a week. So that in a nutshell is my schedule.
0: So tell me, did you get this type of mindset, this drive, this tenacity, and, and then this grit from your parents or was it something that you learned growing up?
1: No, we we actually uh, 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 we actually were not a competitive family, meaning like I can't tell you if I ever played games with my parents. Like we didn't do board games. Um, We were not a monopoly family. We grew up in Iran. I saw my dad once a week on Sundays because he worked six days a week. So my dad was a hard working man and my mom raised us and uh we were my dad was very much about values and principles and discipline and never lying and always telling the truth. He's probably told me never be afraid of the truth. I I'll, I'll give you a number. He's probably told me that 40,000 times. I mean, the guy would tell me that every day 10 times. Never Patrick remember, never be afraid of the truth. Never be afraid of the truth. Never be afraid of the truth. I'm like, why do you keep telling me this? I got it already. So he was big on re-reminding Very disciplined man, he was a perfectionist. Um, and so in Iran, I never played outside. Here's the other element that's gonna confuse you a little bit. I've never played organized sports. I'm 6'4, 230, and I had a great physique at 14 years old, but I never played like I've never played organized baseball in a league. I'm talking no YMCA league or high school. I've never played basketball, nothing. So You know, uh, I was part of a troubled uh, teenager basketball league that was gangsters like Blood, Crip, Mara Sabatrucha, 18th Street, and I was part of that group, but that wasn't anything that was a a competitive uh, organization. It was just to try to get the kids uh, to not do anything foolish and kind of get them playing sports. And so, right after high school, when I went into the Army, bodybuilding was always something I had a passion for. I was always following Arnold, so I kind of liked the whole muscle and physique and, you know, having a nice shredded body. And that was an aspiration that I had to one day be a bodybuilder. But I think what happened to me is when my dad had a heart attack and I was at UCLA UCLA Medical Center and he had a heart attack and I went upstairs and security came and kicked me out because I was very upset at all the nurses and the doctors because they were not giving my dad the best treatment. And they just proposed a question to me. They said, sir, do you realize we're doing this for free? Taxpayers are paying for this. This costs a quarter million dollars. Do you have the money? I said, no. He says, then stop being upset. These are your only choices. And so they kicked me out. I went downstairs in a car. Uh, I cried like a little baby. When I tell you I cried, I mean, I literally cried like a little baby in my Ford Focus. And it's as if I had a twin brother who was absolutely determined To win big showed up the following day, and you wouldn't have recognized me. It was a very weird dynamic. I went from being a regular guy who partied four or five days a week. I was after the girls. I partied very hard, Um, and uh, I was selling gym memberships. It was either bodybuilding. It was either women. It was either nightclubs, and that's pretty much it. And Then the next day, it's as if Superman showed up. I don't know. It's just a whole different human being. (laughs) <laughs> I was determined, determined to win. One of my biggest fears I had was for my father to die without my kids ever to meet their grandfather. I never met my dad's dad. I just heard stories. So I told myself that day, I said, listen, if my dad's going to die, he's not going to die because of stress of having a heart attack. That's just not going to happen. If God decides to take my dad away from me, it has to be cancer or a accident done by somebody else. But it's not going to be. From something that I control. So I just got to work, I made money, and I promised my dad that he'll never worry about money ever again. So May of 2004 was the last time my dad ever paid for any bill flight, room, hotel, uh, 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 anything. Last time he ever paid for anything was May of O4. And then from there, I took him all over the world. He's 76 years old, still alive after 13 heart attacks. So once wow. I became determined. And then I realized the formula. And then in March of '09, the concept of capitalism got into my blood. And I realized this isn't just about business. This is about a message that needs to be spread around the world, especially since I was born to a mother who was a communist and a father who was an imperialist. And then there was almost like a feeling of a, a responsibility, a calling, if you want to describe it. And then, you know, the energy hasn't stopped since then.
0: That's phenomenal. A phenomenal story. So talk to me a little bit about what your ideas of money are.
1: What my ideas of money are. Uh, do you want to be a little bit more specific? Because I have a lot of ideas. Well,
0: you know, a lot of times, a lot of times, Patrick, what happens is people believe that money turns individuals either positively or negatively. In other words, there are very positive aspects out there when we look at money, and there are very negative aspects when we look at money from different perspectives. I want to know what your perspective is.
1: Yeah, so for me, money is actually uh, not a big deal. I think money is the easiest thing to make in the world. Um, I think, uh, especially America, let me restate that. Money is not the easiest thing to make in communistic and socialistic Mm -hmm. nations. Money is easy to make in America in a capitalistic nation. Like, Slovenia is still capitalism. know, America, is still capitalism. Germany would probably still be considered capitalism. And China is starting to add an element of capitalism on the economy side and communism on the government side. It's a completely different dynamic, similar to Russia. But money is very easy to make. If you live in America and you don't make your millions, you're seriously not taking advantage of the best opportunity America offers, which is called free enterprise. It's like working for a company that has all these different benefit programs and you decide not to take advantage of it. For instance, I work for a company, let's just say XYZ, they give you $500 allotment every month to go get chiropractor or massage or gym membership. You never use it. They offer you another $500 a month to go to consulting courses and take classes on your specialty like management, you know, like Excel or editing or whatever it is. You never use it. That's not the company's fault. That's your fault. America's number one benefit it offers to its citizens is a concept called capitalism slash free enterprise slash freedom of speech. That's what it offers. You got to go get it. So money's easy to make. Now, aside from that, look, I know a lot of rich people who are absolute assholes. A lot of them. I know a lot of rich people who are amazing human beings, like the nicest people in the world. I know a lot of poor people who are absolute assholes, and I know a lot of poor people that are amazing human beings. Money is just going to make you more of who you are, and that is an absolute truth. It's not a, a myth that is actually very, very true on what happens with money to people. But, uh, you yeah, know, I think a lot of times yesterday I had a couple of guys here, and one of the questions they were asking me, they said, Pat, so... You know, where is laziness stemmed from? I used to be a very lazy kid growing up. My dad would always say, why are you so lazy? And then I finally figured out laziness stemmed from boredom. You know, when a person has a boring life, by not constantly having the next carrot in your life, by not constantly having the next goal in your life, by not constantly having the next thing you're chasing in your life, you all of a sudden lose energy. You lose energy, you become bored. Yes. i bored. You start doing cocaine, you start doing pot, you start drinking too much, you start having a, you know, two, three, four girlfriends on the side, you start gambling, you start gaining weight, you start saying stupid things, you start being bitter, you start having bad relationship with your parents, with your spouse, with your kids, because you have way too much time on your hands. So the key is to stay active and constantly have the next carrot, the next thing you want to chase, so you don't get yourself caught up in the state of boredom laziness and then all of a sudden become self-destructive so money is simply a tool and the more of a vision you have the bigger the vision you have the more money you need to be able to fulfill your vision and turn in, turn your prophecy into a reality so it, it's it, i can go on the topic of money for days but that's just a brief summary sure. of what i would say with money
0: sure and I, i'm curious to know where where you've Put say, let's stay on money for one more second here. Where you put money in values of your life, like a lot of people, unfortunately, put money as the priority. And of course, money opens uh, up, I mean, definitely it opens up different available options for everyone. Okay. There's no doubt about it. But my concern at times is you know they value money in a different way they put it at the center of the family bridge and unfortunately everything they do is for that money I'm a big believer Patrick that if you do something that is good something that you feel passionate about something that you give a hundred percent money's gonna come money's gonna be there. But my question to you here is this, as far as your family goes, as far as the values that you've put and instilled in your family, where does money sit?
1: So it's interesting you say that. I teach my kids four things that they can all repeat. I tell them, I say, Daddy, what do we stand for as a family? And they'll say, Daddy, we lead, we respect, we improve, we love. I said, do we bully people? No. Do we get bullied? No. I've probably said that to them, I don't know. Four or five thousand times, right? They have they have to know it all the time, and I say to them all the time, and I ask them all the time. Um, I'm gonna talk about money with my kids. I think sometimes there, there's a challenge here, and, and and you know, the only way I know how to be uh, give feedback is just to be myself. Sometimes, say you're the hedge fund manager in your early 20s, and you're making a killing, and the company goes out of business for doing fraudulent activities, and you become a police officer. There's a lot of stories like that, right? Say you are somebody that uh, you were 22 years old when a mortgage uh, was booming, and all of a sudden, by 24 years old, you're making 2.2 million dollar your income. This is a very good friend of mine, and you're living in a four million dollar house. You have three exotics, and you go to a nightclub. You no longer even have to pay for the corner, you know, uh, table. You just get, your name's all over it. You, you're you're like a legend during that three four year run rate. And then all of a sudden, 2007, the market tanks and you lose everything. And now you're being investigated for selling loans that weren't qualified by, you know, lenders and creative uh, uh, underwriting and creative financing. And then you're facing lawsuits and taxes. Well, that's discouraging. Look, there's a big difference. Sometimes when we take a big hit in life, um, we, the way we respond there can dictate what the next 20, 30 years can look like. I'll break it down for you. I'm a big fan of every man and woman needs to have a massive, massive uh, rock bottom type of a moment. I I prefer it to happen very early, 20s, 30s, preferably 20s. And what does this mean? A breakup. I mean, I had a girl that was a model and, you know, Hollywood dropped that gorgeous cover of magazines We're together for three years We're about to get married. She broke up with me. It crushed me because I thought this was it I had a, a a Time where I was part of this company and I was a rock star with this company Going around the country speaking on yachts and people are showing up. Oh my gosh This guy 20 some years old look at him, etc, cetera, etc cetera. And then that company went out of business Fully went out of business. It was ran by a guy that was worth money, but it went out of business. And I was crushed, and I was $49,000 in debt. And at that moment, I was about to join the army. I remember when I was in the army, in boot camp, in initial, when the boot camp, when I went in, the first week, you go through your testing. I got into the biggest fight in the laundry mat that was like a bloodbath, just a terrible fight. And my drill sergeant pulled me aside, and he says, you are not made for the army. You don't do well with authority. You just don't. You have a problem. And guess what we're doing for you? I said, what's that? He said, we're, we're letting you get out of the army. and We're not even calling it honorable, dishonorable, or less than honorable. We're just saying you never even applied so it doesn't hurt your credit. You just get out. This isn't for you. So they put me in the other room and they gave me a phone. You don't give phones to anybody in a map station or in boot camp when they're going in. You take the phone away from them because they have to go through that pain. But they just told me flat out, you got to get out. I called all my friends, every one of them, Pat, you gotta come out, all the girls are asking about you. You gotta get out, man, we gotta go party, we gotta do this, we are going to do that. I went to sl- uh, sleep that night. I had a guy named Wiggins, who was my bunk bed, uh, a bunk buddy, and we spoke that night. And that night, I went to sleep, couldn't sleep. I woke up in the morning and told those guys, I'm staying in the army. And they, they, they made sure that my life was going to be hell for the next three months because I chose to stay in. You see, I think sometimes when we lose, we um, uh, lower the importance of money. And I think that's a mistake. I think sometimes when we lose to make ourselves or our kids or our spouse or our brother, sibling, cousin, you know, best friend, parents, we make them uh, 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 because they need love at that time, because they need support at that time. We figure out a way to justify and say things like money doesn't matter, all these other things, which, believe it or not, for the rest of people's lives, they're going to argue about one topic more than any other topic, and it's money.
0: Why why
1: not address that and stop hiding it and try to hide behind our faith or our family? Because many people do it. Listen, I've seen this so many times. I've seen it so many times. My mom would call rich people greedy. And yet at the same time, all she ever fought my dad about was money. What a contradiction. Everything was about rich people or bad people. And then I said, you know what? Screw this. I don't want that. I want to have choices. I'm going to make the money. And the reason why I'm going to make the money is because I want my my kids go to a Christian school, private school, all three of them. That costs a couple thousand dollars per kid. Why did I put them there? Because I want them to learn the right values and principles. That costs money. I don't want to leave it to public school. Now I am a public school kid myself, but I wanted to have choices for them. That those those hmm. things right there are things where sometimes we uh, we 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 like to demonize money, but money's not the problem. Guns aren't the problem. Drugs aren't the problem. McDonald's isn't the problem. Cheesecake's not the problem. It's the choices people make that's the problem. We need to address choices rather than demonizing all these other things that are accessible to a lot of us and money being one of them.
0: Great stuff right there. Great stuff. So do you believe that overcoming challenges and overcoming obstacles in your life is a must for you to get stronger in mind, to get stronger in spirit, to get that tenacity and that grit?
1: Yeah. So I think you either have to have somebody around you that has that, to have a glimpse of it, like... I mean, look, at Trump had a father like Fred Trump, right? So he saw that, right? So you look at JFK had a father named Joseph Kennedy. And Joseph Kennedy was absolutely crazy driven. And John F. Kennedy wasn't actually the most competitive son. It was his oldest brother named Joseph Kennedy, who was a fighter pilot. And he was the one that was being set up to be the president of the United States because his father was devastated when Joseph Kennedy died in war completely devastated when his father died in war but john f kennedy had a glimpse of it from his father now i don't have somebody in my life that is a super like my dad wasn't a millionaire my dad was a cashier at a 99 cent store you know my mother didn't believe in capitalism she didn't like rich people she preferred communism so i didn't have an example of that for me to you know, spread my wings and say, one day I'm going to continue this family generation and I'm going to be X, Y, Z. That wasn't the case with me. With me, it was, I hit rock bottom. When I hit rock bottom, I had one uncle that I saw six times. I went to his house and he had this house that was a good size house. And I would go there and I would watch how his kids, his grandkids responded to him. And I would tell myself, man, I would love to one day be viewed Uh, the way his kids look at him, the way his grandkids look at him. Look at the way, you know, he debates topics. And I would just watch this man. I'm like, wow, that's that's great. But I went through a lot of difficulties and I had a couple examples that weren't close, but distant, but I saw them a couple of times where they inspired me. Nowadays, that could be somebody on YouTube. Nowadays, it could be somebody on Netflix, a documentary you watch. We have so many stories nowadays to be inspired by. But if you don't have that, I think hitting rock bottom and getting your ass handed to you a couple times is going to do good for you, but also having a couple glimpses of victories is also going to do good for you.
0: So tell me, do you read?
1: All the time. I can't even help myself. I read all the time. I'm all about reading books. Oh, yeah.
0: How important do you think reading is and learning from others that came before you and uh, kind of absorbing that knowledge?
1: Well, it, 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 I, I can't speak for everybody, but I can tell you for me, if it wasn't for reading, you don't know who Patrick B. David is, period. If it wasn't for reading, you would never know who Patrick B. David is, flat out. I picked up my first book, and after the first book, 1,500 books later, now I'm Patrick B. David to the world. But 1,500 books ago, I was just Tico to my father, or my sister, the nickname. Now it's a whole different story today. What happened? those books completely changed the way I viewed everything. So I'm a, I'm a big advocate of uh, reading books, especially, especially for those who don't necessarily have an education or a degree or any of that stuff. Books can really do a number on you. Awesome.
0: So talk to me now that you mentioned education. How important do you think from an entrepreneur's point of view that schooling like college and, and, and upper upper levels of schooling, like trying to get your master's degree, etc., outside of jobs, like maybe lawyers and doctors and engineers, for an entrepreneur, how do you think, what's your take on schooling in our society nowadays? I
1: wrote a book about it called Drop Out and Get Schooled, and I just made a video two weeks ago called The Biggest Scam in America. Uh, that's created a ton of controversy and that the biggest scam in America is a college system. You know, it's become a a political environment. It's become a place where, you know, uh, they went from strictly being about education that's turned into a business now. And that's why everything's being expensive because you're now going to a place, uh, a business, that's the ultimate business they have. These are the ultimate capitalists because they don't pay taxes. I mean, you realize colleges... You know, don't pay taxes on the money they make on their endowment accounts. The interest. Right. They don't make tax they don't pay taxes on that. They don't pay taxes on the tickets they sell to their football games. It makes no sense to me. And these are professors and teachers who bash capitalism and they bash the the system that America has. Yet these guys are making the most money, period, and they don't want to pay taxes. So look, I I'm not I'm all about education. I think if somebody's trying to become uh, major in anything that's related to stem obviously you need to go to school you want to be a doctor lawyer engineer any of that stuff science you need to go get a uh, uh, you know a proper amount of education but if you want to be an entrepreneur you know i asked mark cuban this question i said mark what do you think about people that say things about college education do you think you know people need to get a degree or they don't he says those who say you don't need a college degree are idiots i said really he said yes so he spoke on it and then i said mark why are they idiots? Because where are you going to learn accounting? Where are you going to learn how to handle your account when you run a business? Where are you going to learn how to do that? I said, okay, specific to that. Are you saying that I need a four-year degree or are you saying that I can take those classes in colleges because those can help me out? Then he changed his opinion and his answer. He says, no. What I am saying is you don't need a four-year degree, but you do need to go take those classes in colleges. I said, okay, we're on the same page with that, but you don't need chemistry, physics, Anthropology to become an entrepreneur. No, you don't. Perfect. That was Mark Cuban's answer. So, you know, I think that a new movement's coming in. The college uh, educational system is going to be disrupted heavily. You know, maybe it's already starting to take place with online. A lot of YouTube channels are becoming bigger degrees. Like, you know, we're we, value is getting people around the world to become entrepreneurs and become successful in business. If I, if I showed you the hundreds of emails I get, you know, I. I had a guy flew in last week just to say thank you. This is a guy that watched by Tim four years ago, and he was a regular guy making $60,000 a year income. Last year, he did $15 million in one year. We don't don't sell courses. These are online educational courses. You're going to see companies like Google, Facebook, Apple, stop looking for kids that are going to college, and they're going to start teaching courses internally. So imagine Google, Facebook, Apple... Take the 80 classes that its students got to take to become a, you know, graduate. They're gonna say out of those 80, what what has to do with coding and engineering? Only 16 of them. How about we teach those classes internally in Google University? Great, do it. Screw all these colleges. We don't even wait for them. And while we're teaching them all these classes at Google, we're also gonna ingrain them about how special of a company Google is, how you know special it is, what it's gonna do. Okay, let's start doing that. We'll do it ourselves. That's the direction we're going. These colleges and universities are 10, 20, 30, 40 years away from waking up every morning with fear because everyone's not calling them scams. We're not there yet, but it's going to take a couple decades to get there.
0: Well said, man. Well said. With that, talk to me about millennials and what you think of this new millennial society that's in their 20s and 30s.
1: Uh, I think they're great. I think... um, Just like any other generation understanding them is important and just like any other generation the one the mistakes sometimes we make like look i got three kids one of the things i fear doing with my kids is forcing them to change for example i'll give you a perfect example my oldest son he can't help himself he loves vampires okay (laughs) no clue why the hell this guy loves vampires like I can't stand vampires. Like, I was never into vampire movies. Neither is his mother, right? But my oldest son, he loves vampires. My oldest son loves scary movies. I mean, when I tell you he loves it, he loves scary movies. He'll, He'll sneak in and sit behind the couch and just set up a scary movie so nobody will see it. He loves scary movies, right? Now, middle son can't stand it, okay? My middle son looks like a bodybuilder. He's four years old. He's got calves muscles, chest, back. The guy's just, he looks like (laughs) ready to compete. And my two-year-old is always, you know, about loving her middle brother, taking care of you. She's very attentive. You know, she cares. She wants to help out. Like no one ever taught her to pick stuff up and throw in the trash. She started doing it. The moment she started walking, this kid is just a sweetheart right now. My oldest kid goes to school. He got kicked out multiple times. And I said, why is he getting kicked out today? Well, because he was scaring kids by telling vampire stories. So one day I come home and I said, Daddy. He said, yes. Actually, there's a great picture of this on my Instagram account. It's very heartfelt because he he was five years old and he felt like he was weird. So he's like, Daddy, why are they calling me weird and why are they doing this? I said, Daddy, come here. I said, come here. Let's talk. So he sits in my lap and I said, I want you to look at me. We have to make eye contact. Look at me. So he looks at me. I said, buddy, let me explain something to you. You like vampires, yes, yes. I said, I love the fact that you love vampires. Nothing wrong with that. I said, but most people don't in school. They're scared of vampires. So guess what I want you to do moving forward? What's that, daddy? You tell me all the vampire stories you want, you want to tell me. Don't tell them in school because they don't fully understand you. Yes. I said, remember, you and I are very similar. People that didn't understand your father when I went to school. They try to force to change me. And, and you got to realize I'm, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'm going to teach you about certain habits that's going to help you win in life, like leading, respecting, improve, love, not bullying, getting bullied, all this other stuff. I sure. said, but everything else, bud. Dude, you're one day going to make, you know, scary movies. You're going to make horror movies. You, maybe one day you're going to be the best producer in the world. So every one of these scary stories you want to tell, you come tell me. So he comes and tells me, all the, daddy, what if a dinosaur was in the background and they went at it with a vampire and they fought, and this vampire bit the dinosaurs on the neck, and the pterodactyl showed up. I mean, he tells me stuff. I'm like, where do you come <laughs> up with this kind of stuff, right? Here's the point. What's the moral of the story? I think people got to stop trying to change millennials. I think people got to stop trying to change millennials. I think people got to stop trying to change the next generation. No one knows what it is to grow up with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat in high school, except them, and not, not millennials, the, founders that are coming up whatever the next generation is we don't know what it is like i don't know what it is to have facebook google youtube in high school i didn't have that we barely had american on america online that you would go in in those chat rooms remember the chat rooms back in the day sure sure we didn't have all this other stuff so i think uh, the best thing we can do is learn from the new generation teach them the right values and principles without trying to force to change them
0: good good stuff good stuff So while we're on uh, talking about social media, how do you think social media has impacted business over the last 10 years?
1: Tremendously. I mean, it's like giving you an opportunity to build your own CNN, Fox, NBC, ABC, you know, CBS. You have your own opportunity to build a platform if you have any sort of value entertainment to bring to people that you capture an audience the audience is yours and yours and the more relevant you stay and the better you do the bigger the audience gets you look at there's only two artists in the world that have had a number one hit on the billboard in four separate decades two artists one of them is ray charles the other one is stink nobody else has done it they stayed relevant for four decades do you realize how hard it is to do oh yeah Here's a guy named Donald Trump, who's the president today. The guy's been relevant for five decades. He started off first being the daddy's son, who had a lot of money. Well, you know, he's the son of Fred Trump. And then he left the business that his dad was doing. He went to Manhattan, and he made a name for himself. Then he went into football, failed in football, went into casino, failed in casino, went into a a TV show, killed it with Apprentice, and then he became president. And so... You know, you can sit there and say what you want with stories, but social media today, what happened with Trump, you're going to see that happen in times 100 in the next 40, 50 years because the strategy. Very interesting. Listen, Obama became a president because he understood social media and everybody picked it up from a guy named Ron Paul. Ron Paul, who ran for office back in the days when MySpace first came out. No, very few people actually know this and remember this. Ron Paul raised $6 million in 24 hours on MySpace. <laughs> who raises wow. $6 million on MySpace? We're living in a Jeez. very different time right now. And those who spend some time realizing about social media and staying relevant, that there there is no limit to where you can build yourself in the next 2, three, five, 10, 20, 30, 40 years.
0: So I see that you, uh, from from what I follow you on Instagram and and see the insurance agency, I mean, the culture that you've developed, I I believe that, it, social media had to be a, a great big part of that, you know, exposing, you know, the people that work for you, the people that surround you, you know, giving them that value and kind of keep them, you know, on the up and up. In other words, keeping them energized, right? That is so important in culture nowadays. And I think that you, you specifically do a great job just, you know, motivating them, inspiring them, inspiring them. How has social media affected your business?
1: I think it has immensely affected our business. You know, I, I you know, not everybody's always going to like you. You have to realize that. The, the people that don't like you, they can create whatever rumors they, they want. But what social media helps you do is the following. If somebody wants to know who Patrick B. David is, go watch 30 videos. After 30 videos, you're going to tell yourself, you know what? I kind of know who this guy is. I mean, if you go watch 30 videos of Gary Vaynerchuk, you're going to know who he is. If you go watch thirty videos from Grant Cardone, you're gonna have an op- opinion about the guy. If you go watch, uh, you know, a twenty episodes of, you know, uh, uh, Shark Tank, you're gonna know who Damon John is, Mister uh, What's the Mister Wonderful is, Barbara Corcoran, Mark Cuban, which most of them have been on Valuetainment before. You're kind of gonna know how they're wired. You're going to know them. So social media gives your customers and potential employees, and customers, and investors, and people you're going to do business with, it gives them the opportunity to research about you at 12 o'clock at night while they're in their underwear in bed to see if you're worthy yep. to do business with or not, while 10, very 20 good. years ago, we couldn't do that.
0: Very, very, I mean, that's, a I think social media is a huge part of your branding. If you don't have that, as far as business, I mean, you're You're not going to make it over the next few years, no doubt about it. So, Patrick, I want to dive deep in here, okay? I want you to tell me the most difficult time in your life, the most difficult challenge of your life, and how you overcame that.
1: Well, it depends on what phases of life, right? I mean, there's a lot of them. But if you want to know uh, some of the phases, one of them was living in Iran where we got bombed on and everybody was telling us to go hide under stairs Uh, And the only reason we knew stairs were the best place to hide is because every time you saw hundreds of buildings that were bombed on, the one thing that was left behind was the stairs. So here we go. We would go hide under stairs and you would hear all the bombs. One day we got bombed 167 times in a single day while I lived in the capital with my mother and my father and my sister. And I watched how poised my dad stayed. I remember one time we drove over the bridge to go to a city called Karaj, which is about two and a half hours away from the capital of Tehran. While we're driving over the bridge, there's a big flash, red flash behind us. We're driving a white Renault. I don't know if you know what a Renault is. We're driving a white Renault. Sure. And my dad says, don't look behind you. Well, my sister and I look behind us. We crossed the bridge. A bomb was dropped 50 yards behind us, and the bridge is coming down. I mean, that is a Hmm. story that stays in my mind till today. You know, I remember living in Germany at a refugee camp and getting to fight and, you know, with some other guys and getting stabbed and having a scar that stayed with me till today by an afghani guy and I'm from Iran and you know Iran and afghani but I'm christian I'm you know my family's half a syrian half armenian so what the refugee camp was like it was it uh, was a strange environment there I remember coming to America and you know not everybody fully understanding what it meant to be from Iran you know I joined the army and you know hey why are you in the US army you know and I had to learn very quickly that You can sit there and tell the world, oh, my gosh, I'm being discriminated and act like a victim. But there is no victim that ends up leading the free world and becomes a leader. Victims don't become leaders. Victims become leaders of victims. I don't want to be a leader of another victim. I want to be leader of leaders. That's 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 what I want to be known for. I don't want to be known for having a lot of people that follow me that are all victims. No, you can have all that credit you want. I want leaders to say that guy right there is going to say the way it is and i prefer following a guy like that because he's not afraid of sitting down and having a conversation with somebody while everybody is afraid because what if um you know that's that's what more more you know is more important to me now difficulty wise when we started a company and i got sued by a 400 billion dollar company uh with the intentions of them trying to put us out of business and my wife had a you know, miscarriage on our first baby, and I'm walking outside till 1.30 in the morning, listening to Foreigner. I want to know what love is. I mean, it just makes no sense. Why I that song? But <laughs> I remember that, and I'll tell you something. That built character, that got our marriage to be stronger. That got us, you know, to be better human beings and realize that look, you know, good times are around the corner, bad times are around the corner. No one's free from bad times. It's inevitable. We can do a lot of things to try to minimize some of the things. You know, you can do a lot of things to minimize self-inflicted wounds where you don't self-sabotage yourself. But we're not leaving this world, you know, alive. You're going to die. And we're going to see a lot of friends and family probably go through tough times. I mean, I have three young babies. These kids are going to go through hard times. And I'm going to have to feel their pain when they're going through it. This is reality. So I can give you a number of stories on what it's been. And at the same time, I can also let you know that I am who I am. You take those things away, I'm telling you, there's no way in the world anybody would know who I am minus the 100, 200 people. You would So, So we yes, gotta go yes, through yes. those difficulty yep. times, so.
0: Absolutely. Those times is what forged who you are today, no doubt about it. And uh, so tell me something, you know, you mentioned you were Christian and how important is faith in your family?
1: So I, so here's how I do with my faith, just so you know that. I don't like to advertise um, my faith because I was an atheist for 25 years of my life. And, uh, you know, I didn't believe in God. I was a kid that got kicked out of Bible school in Iran because I would always say, you know, God really loves all these people you talk about. Why did he just, you know, allow us to be bombed and all these innocent kids died? So I was I was all an atheist. You know, it was all about being an atheist. I joined the army when I was in the army. They allowed us to get away for a weekend at this camp because of the high score I had on my PT. Four of us were able to go to this camp. And there was one requirement. The man that owned the camp wanted the kids to listen to him read the Bible for one hour at night. Okay. So I'd sit in the back and he would do the talking. And I would... uh, uh, Play with the billiard balls because I couldn't wait for him to finish so I can go play billiard. That's what I wanted to do. I don't want to talk about Luke, Matthew, John, all this other stuff, boring stuff. Finally, when we're leaving, he comes up to me and he says, look, I was given this Bible on Christmas Day, 1974. I think you need this more than I do. I want to give it to you. So he gave me his Bible. I was like, wow, it's pretty nice. You've had this thing for 23 years. It was you know, June of 97, when he gave it to me. So I'm like, why is this man giving me this? Something like that, like September of 97, when he gave it to me. So anyways, long story short, from that day, I came home, uh, to my barracks and I started praying three times a day. And this is what my prayer was. Look, I don't believe you exist, God. I think you're fake. I think people think you exist. I think they uh, are weak to be naive and believe that some, something like that exists. I just, I'm just praying. If you're out there, you listen. If you don't, you won't. But, uh, You know, it is what it is. I did that three times a day from 97 on September, 97 on. And then eventually, you know, I had a moment where um, I gave my life up and then faith played a very, 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 very important role in my life. Uh, But I'm not the guy that advertises it. I'm not the guy that imposes it. I'm not the guy that goes around saying, if you don't, because I never liked the whole judgment thing. Wow, well, you know, you're going to hell. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not that guy. I, I'm more coming from a different place of knowing a solid... Uh, this, this was... I dated a girl. Okay, similar story with the girl I was telling you about the model back in the days. One day we sat down and I challenged her. Our sex life was amazing. I had an expedition. We probably had sex in that expedition a couple thousand times. In every possible <laughs> way. Okay. And... You know, we had a great time, you know, we would we we're, you know, high hormones and, you know, we'd pull over and we'd go into restaurants and we'd have sex in McDonald's uh, bathroom. We'd have sex in Starbucks. We were just a freaking wild, stupid, young, 20, 21 years old. And you have no idea what's going on. So this thing kept going on till about 23 years old. And I'm at a moment where I'm like, you know what? I don't know if I want to be with this girl or not. I don't know if this is my wife or not. So I gave her a test. I said, hey, listen, here's what I'd like to do. So what's that? I said, I say we go one month without having sex. She said, I'm sorry. I said, let's go one month without having sex. She said, did you meet somebody? I said, no, I'm telling you, I love you. But I want to go one month without having sex. She says, what's your point? I said, honestly, I want to know what else we have in common outside of great sex and let's see if we have anything to actually talk about that's as of substance. She said, that's weird. So we started. (laughs) So it was a Friday. I take her out Friday. We went out, watched the movie. Typically when we're done with the movie, we'd come back, we'd park it a block down the street from her house, and we'd have sex. And I said, yeah, Mm -hmm." and I dropped her off. Nothing happened, very awkward. She's like, whatever, and she got out, okay. Next day, same thing, we go out. And this time, we don't go to movies. We just went out to dinner. And then we have nothing to talk about. When I tell you we have nothing to talk about, we have nothing to talk about. And then after a month, we're like, dude, nothing to talk. We have no commonalities at that time, right? Finally, one day, I sat down and I said, look, here's what I'm starting to realize. She said, what's that? I said, I'm a screw up. I mean, I, if you leave it to me, I will do the dumbest things in the world, because you know I get tempted all the time, and I kind of enjoy sinning. Uh, I I <laughs> think I think I think we ought to, you and I ought to go figure out a higher power that we base our relationship off of, because if we screw up, we have to go to a book, we have to go to a manual, we have to go to certain values and principles that we both agree on. That's above you and I, and I don't know everything. You don't know everything. Why don't we go find something? I'm open to any religion, but let's go look, some, look for something that you and I both agree with. She says, oh, my gosh, what's gotten up to you? And, and that's when I kind of knew. I said, I know myself. I know I'm going to do something stupid if I don't have a certain set of values that I build my foundation on. So that's kind of where my direction went into figuring myself out. And I went on like a two, three hour year journey of studying Scientology, Mormonism, Christianity, Seventh-day Adventists, you know, Judaism. Anyways, I don't want to go into this whole religion thing, but that that was kind of my journey when it led to where I'm at today.
0: That's awesome, man. And the fact is that you were a young 20-year-old guy. For you to step up and say, hey, listen, let's not have sex, that's not the norm.
1: (laughs) You know, one day I'm going to interview her, and I'm going to have her tell that story because we are still very good friends till today. One day I'm going to have her tell this story because— She'll probably say from a standpoint where someone's going to say, you know, freaking, we thought Pat was just saying this stuff because he's saying this stuff. But Pat actually means this stuff. Yeah, I actually mean the stuff that I say. So,
0: That's awesome, man. Pat, man, you're, you're definitely, you got so much to talk about. We can sit here for hours, man. You're so, you know. I love the fact that you're articulate, you're to the point, and you don't say, you know, you cut through the bullshit. I love that. I appreciate it. Hey, listen, uh, where can people follow you, reach you? And uh, and you have a great YouTube uh, channel also, if you can give my listeners that.
1: Yeah, I mean, if a person wants to study the content, you just go on YouTube and you type in my name, uh, Patrick Bet David. B E T David, or you just type in the word entrepreneur and you're going to see me on one of the videos. Okay. Because a third of the videos will probably be me. If you just type in the word entrepreneur, the second thing is if you do want to ask me a question, I respond on Twitter and Instagram and on both of them, my handle is my full name without the hyphen. So just type in Patrick bet David, and you'll find me on Twitter and on Instagram. And I do respond 50% of the time.
0: That's great, man. That's great. You know, one thing here, man, it's that I feel that our society needs is more men like you, more individuals to step up, say it how it is, you know, guys that have been successful, guys that have definitely... Been able not only to, to talk about it, but actually been there, done that, and be able to walk the walk. And, you know, we talked about millennials earlier. I'm a big believer that, yes, millennials, you know, a lot, they, they're they definitely a lot of people knock them and whatever it is. But having mentors like yourself, people to look up to like yourself, I mean, it's only going to lead them in the right direction, no doubt, man.
1: Hey, I, I appreciate that, man. I, I agree with you. I think the, the world needs more leaders and you know, for me, I've always said if there's anything I want to die being remembered for, I don't want to be known for my humor. I don't want to be known for having great content. I want to be known for being a great leader. Whatever that leads me into, I don't think there's a better compliment in life than being called a leader. So I appreciate that.
0: And for our listeners, Valuetainment is on is on YouTube. This guy does some some badass inter- interviews. You gotta go check it out. It's something very unique, very up. I mean, it's right there in your face, these interviews. This guy dives deep. I love that. Patrick, man, you've been an awesome guest, no doubt about it. And I really appreciate you being on. And certainly this was a a podcast right now. This is going to be my 100th show. So uh, we're going to celebrate on that for sure when this comes out, brother.
1: I love it. Send us the link. When it comes out, we'll share it.
0: All right, Patrick. Thank you very much for your time, man.
1: Hey, thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy.
0: Boom, there you have it. What a great conversation with Pat. Let me tell you something. This guy's a straight shooter. He knows his shit, no doubt about it. He's a very successful businessman, an entrepreneur, but more importantly, he's a down-to-earth dude. That's what I love about him, all right? I hope that you gained some valuable information, some solid content here, but more importantly, use the strategies, right, and the tactics that you learn from here and apply them into your life. Integrate my brothers. That is the key element here. Hey, listen, check this out. Before we go, conclaveofwarriors.com. You got to go there. Get your tickets right away. I want to shake your hand, downtown Miami, December 1 and 2, for the most powerful event of the year. No doubt about it. All right, guys, until next time, your life may be challenging and full of dangers, but never retreat. Your last battle may be your greatest victory.